Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Okay, this is big because if some of you might remember what this means. The, the night I decided to start this podcast in March of 2015, no, yeah, 2015, I emailed eight, nine people that I wanted to get on the show, and I heard back from four of them who said yes, one said no, and four I never heard back from, and John Cafferty was one of the original nine. And I've been trying to make this happen for years, and we finally got it. So John Cafferty, obviously of the Beaver Brown Band, is our guest this week. And what made this happen finally is that the band has a finally a much-deserved Greatest Hits album out just recently. So I think everyone knows the story, but what a weird one, right? They're pegged after a decade of playing like every you know boardwalk or pier or bar or club on the eastern seaboard, they uh, finally get pegged to do the music for Eddie and the Cruisers. But because the video shows Michael Paré and not John, there's confusion about who is who and what the real band is. And I think people forget that after that, John and the band put out two more albums. There's Tough All Over, which had that that hit on it, C-I-T-Y, Voices of America's Sons. And then there's this kind of a weirder album called Roadhouse, which is also really good, but it's it's long. Every All the songs are like five, six minutes long. It's kind of them stretching out. Along the way, there's the, cute, there's the Rocky IV soundtrack, Hearts of Fire. And then there's the Eddie II soundtrack from 1989, Eddie and the Cruisers 2, and then there's nothing. And that's it. That's the end of John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band's recorded output. So I've wanted to know, like, why did it have to end? Where did it go? Why not more? John was so gracious. We talked about all of this stuff and much, much, much more. This has been a dream to have this man on this show for almost eight years, and we finally made it happen. He called me from his home in Providence, Rhode Island. So I was going to tell you, the one and only time I've been able to see you in concert was at a Christmas concert um, seven or eight years ago. It was Edgar Winter and then you and Eddie Money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, come man. Oh God, I, you know. Yes, I, I love Daddy boy. He, he was, he Me was some boy. He was great. He always, he always put a smile on my face. You know, he yes. always made me laugh. You, would, you know, just you'd know, come down in the morning, and he'd be sitting at the counter, you know, having his coffee, reading the paper, and he would just always, you know, start <laughs> my day off with a smile. You know, unbelievable. That's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. I uh yeah, that, that was a, all, man. no kidding. That was a huge dream come true for me because I've never even been in a position, I don't think, where I've been able to see you live. Because I think you mostly play up and down kind of the East Coast and I don't live over there. And um and so that particular night happened to be the same night as my work Christmas party, but I didn't want them to know that I was skipping the Christmas party to go to your oh, concert. Boy. So I, I had to make something up about like a babysitter not showing up. So I lied so that I could go to your, and you came out in the crowd and you were, we were, the person next to me was holding you up. And so I was standing right there. Well, I have pictures of it. It was, oh, man. it was a dream, man. I, so wow. I'm curious, how often 
do you play, number one, and how often do you leave that kind of Upper Eastern Coast? Uh, well, you know, we, we, uh, you know, we, we still have our band together, John Caffrey, yeah. the Brown band with three of the original members and, and, uh, three very veteran players who, uh, you know, sort of, uh, have been, uh, holding down the fort for the original guys who, uh, a couple of them have passed and, uh, you know, one of them is sort of retired. Yeah. Um, well, and, uh, you know, so, I mean, we, you know we're sort of weekend warriors, you know, we, okay. we, uh, you know, we can fill a house any Saturday night, just about everywhere USA, but it's yeah. the, you know, it's the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, which, uh, you know, uh, which keeps you off the bus, you know, yeah. because yeah. The, the expenses of being on the road, is just kind of tough. Yeah. Um, uh, it, but, uh, you know, so I mean, we're sort of limited to fly dates when we okay. when we when we leave our area, and uh, you know, they have to be able to uh, be affordable to to be able to fly out there because you know, of course, you like you know thousands of dollars yes. just to walk out your step <laughs> off your front step, you know, and yeah. Uh, and yeah, so we, you know, we're we're still pretty good at it. I mean, I believe we, it. Uh, we we're we're still pretty good at it. And uh, your situation. You know, so we, oh, go ahead. Well, well, you know, so we play, you know, it's seasonal. So okay. you know, uh, we're playing, you know, one or two times a week and maybe like three or four during the summer. But, okay. uh, you know, in the winter time, it's so, you know, January, February sure. slows down a little bit. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, we're okay. still at we your can situation. still the with the best of them. Yeah. Your situation reminds me a little bit of Donnie Iris. Do you remember Donnie Iris? Alia. Yeah, in fact, uh, my, my friend uh, Tommy Rich from uh, Cleveland. I just did a gig with him in San Diego. Tommy really? plays drums with Donnie okay. occasionally. Yep. You know, he was in uh, another band called The Cruisers, you know, Donnie Iris oh. and The Cruisers, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I forgot about that. I didn't put that together. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, Are Johnny... You? Donia was on here about a year ago and he it's funny because he's another artist that people love, but you don't hear, he's not actively putting out a ton of new music. He doesn't tour yeah. everywhere, but the guy makes a really comfortable living just touring there in the rust belt between like, you know, uh, Cleveland and Philly or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And the we rest of the time he plays Cincinnati. golf and hangs out, you know, he's living the life. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. I'm surprised we, you know, I haven't done any gigs with him. I'm surprised we haven't uh, crossed paths, you know, out on the golf course because we yeah. do a lot of these, uh, you know, charity fundraising uh -huh. events, you know, which uh, involves, uh, you know, playing a little golf. But they always say, don't forget your guitar, you know. Of course. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, Donnie's great, you know. I think he's like Pittsburgh guy, right? Yeah, yeah, he I is. I was talking to another Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh legend, uh, Joey Gushecki. Joey. Uh, Joe Gushecki oh, and the uh, Iron City House Rockers. You know, yeah. they're like a big Pittsburgh legendary band and, no and uh, you know, play the Jersey Shore a lot. And, sure. You know, he, like Joey writes songs with Bruce and his back Bruce <sighs> up a number of times. But uh, yeah. That's great. Okay. Well, so you're still yeah. out there just active. It's just unless you live in a certain area, you may not, you may not be coming through town very often. 
Well, we're trying, you know, we're trying to, you know, I was just talking to Gary Gramolini, our guitar player, you know, driving home from a gig. And we just played Cincinnati the other night. Oh, nice. Place called the Ludlow Garage. And it was, uh, you know, I mean, they'll be talking about that one for a while. I mean, it was like two hour and 50 minute show. You know, straight up. Yeah, five encores and, you know, the whole, you know, old school, you know. Wow. Uh, with the emphasis on old, but you know, <laughs> but you know, I mean, we can, you know, we can still go from zero to sixty in three I seconds. We just can't do it seven nights a week. That's but you know, on Saturday night, count the four, man. We, yeah, you know, we're ready, willing, and able. That's great. That's great. So you're finally getting this greatest hit CD. I mean, what the heck took so long, John? You've got, you've had these hits that have been evergreen for decades now. Why is there finally now? greatest hits album coming out <laughs> well uh you know without getting into too much of the you know detail of it there's being a musician and then there's the music business you yeah, know yeah. we were always really good at being musicians we were never really good at the music business so our relationships with the uh, record companies uh cloudy at best you uh -huh. know it's not uh <laughs> You know, it, I mean, yeah. we had such a strange story, you know, like a sure bar band, you know, with some pretty good songs, you know, a, a, an amazing uh, ability to entertain an audience over the years. Because, you yeah. know, I mean, they say it takes 10,000 hours to get good at something. I mean, we had, before we made records, we had 100,000 hours, uh -huh. in, you know, playing yeah. five, six, seven nights a week, you know, yeah. five, six yeah. sets a night. I mean, so we we knew our business, but uh, you know, we we sort of got uh, lost uh, in the shuffle with the uh, you know the record company that we were signed to, and then the the parent company, which was uh, CBS, then Sony, and um, uh, to the point where where um, David took our own records and obscured them, you mm -hmm. know, with uh, sort of um, you know advertising that that or packaging that wasn't really representative of the band absolutely so, they're hard to uh, find i don't i've never been able to find road i collect cds instead of vinyl still roadhouse i think i don't know if it's even on cd and if it is it's expensive tough all over has the eddie and the cruisers co cover on it not the original one with you guys on the cover at least the yeah, one that roadhouse i have too. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 well, it's frustrating so so you know, and we were we were with a record company many many moons ago, you know, and uh, most of the people that I knew they were gone, yeah. and so I've never really been able to communicate with a record company, and we just you know they they just uh, you know there was just a, 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 a you know it's like a knot of uh, you know like uh, tangled wires yeah. you know, as far as our recording career was, was concerned and, and nobody really wanted to untangle them and nobody really knew a way through that, that uh, sort of maze to do it. Yeah. And I got a call from uh, this guy, Jeremy Holiday, who used to work at Sony, who was now working at a company called Iconic Classic Records mm -hmm. and had become the president. And he knew of our story. We had mutual friends and, and my great friend, Jimmy Jameson from Survivor and Jimmy Peterick mm -hmm. uh, from Survivor. And uh, 
you know, he, he asked me if I'd be interested in doing a greatest hits compilation and that he was pretty confident that he could uh, get the licensing from Sony to not only release uh, the songs from our own albums, but also uh, put them together with uh, a bunch of work that we did for, you know, movies. Right. And uh, I said, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, so that's how it came about, you know, and yeah. it been nothing but uh, uh a day in the sun you know mm -hmm. really you know fun and exciting and fun to talk yeah. to people about it and yeah. uh, get, getting great reception good i am so glad because up to this point all the the only thing close to a compilation has been this cd called extended versions which is just you guys kind of live it's a good it's a good album but if you want like the classic versions of the hits you know right, has right, it right. been a you know something all-encompassing out there until now yeah i could never uh, i could never give it get anybody on the phone over there oh man so i just you know after a while i just stopped calling i just yeah. uh you know uh turned my back on it and went to what i knew how to do yeah. the best which was to get on a stage every saturday night count to four yeah. and and play the best songs I could in the best way that I could with the best yeah. band that I would have, you know, Good. and, and uh, always been able to put a smile on people's faces, including my own. Yeah. By yeah. Doing that. So Absolutely. So let me ask you about this, John. I mean, you're, as you mentioned earlier, your career is unlike anyone else's. And one of the <laughs> things I have so many questions about it, and I'm sure you've been asked a billion of these before, but one of the things I've never quite understood is why, why is there nothing really after 1989? Do you not continue to, re do you not make Beaver Brown CDs that at least you could sell at shows? I don't know of any other John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown music since the Eddie Two soundtrack. Uh, well, you know, I've written songs that we do live and then I stopped writing for quite a while. Um, but, you know, occasionally I would, you know, get an idea and, you know, put uh -huh. it together. And, and most of the songs were, you know, I have a very high percentage of good songs, you know, yeah, you that, that I write, yes. or at least the ones that I finish, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, like back in the old days, I mean, I wrote songs to play at the shows that we played, you know. Uh, I, our, our recording experiences in, in terms of like the, the whole scope of our career is just such a very small part of our career. I know that that's how people, you know, sort of see bands and whatever, but you know, when we're riding in the van and, and talking to one another, you know, we're, we're talking about the live shows that we're doing, yeah. you know, that's our experience is being yeah. a, a live band. So, you know, there, there were, you know, probably, Maybe I don't know a couple of albums worth of of songs that you know we probably could have put out at some point, uh, just never did. Could never really afford to you know go in the studio and do that um, without the support of a record company, and and uh, so uh, we just didn't. Um, okay, you know, you know, for for better or for worse, we just didn't do it. Yeah. So you've got a, I mean, you've got a canon though of like 50 great tunes that you can play live whenever you want every weekend. No need to continue to put out new music or make new albums or record new things. You're fine kind of sitting on those great songs you already have. <laughs> well, uh, you know, 
coincidentally, you know, when Jeremy called me up for this greatest hits record, you know, I said, you know, it, it, your timing couldn't have been better because I, you know, I've been writing songs and, you know, the, the, you know, the band's been uh, playing really well. And all of a sudden I just got a bunch of ideas and I've been writing them and, uh, you know, we've been learning new songs and, and I, I sort of have an eye towards, you know, putting out a new record. And, uh, really? So this would be uh, this would be a great prelude to, to yes. that, an opportunity to go out and uh, you know shake hands with everybody and say hello and just say hey you know we're still here and uh, you know this is the best of what we've done in the past and uh, here's something new for you. I you know, love it. Continues the story. Yes. So the greatest hits album kind of rekindles interest in in John Cafferty and to capitalize on that. A possible new album with new songs might be on the oh, way. Oh, there will definitely be a new album. You know, Great. whether or not uh, uh, we can get it out uh, by the spring or the summer, we're, okay. we're sort of compiling it right now and just figuring out the technology to, that to, is great, to get it. Man. You know, document it. But uh, oh, yeah, I but can't we've wait. been playing a lot of new songs live in in. Uh, been going over great and people are you know hearing the songs and halfway through they're singing them back to us so it's, it's great so, yeah oh, i'm so glad to hear that i mean i've been a huge fan of yours for decades and uh just chomping at the bit for when is some new john cafferty music going to come out so that's great okay so let's let's talk about the weirdness of your career my understanding <laughs> is <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah my understanding you guys have been around for over uh, over 10 years before Eddie and the Cruisers even happened, right? Yeah, we started up in 1972. Right. Uh, and so was it a friend of yours that wrote the book that it was based on, or a friend of yours was the music supervisor for the movie and brought you in? How did you even get selected? For the film Eddie and the Cruisers? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, we were... We were playing in uh, Greenwich Village in, in, a, in a little bar called The Bitter End. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's kind of a, a, a notable place in the village on Bleecker Street. I mean, that's where, like, back in the day, like, Bob sure. Dylan used to play there. Famous you know, landmark, yeah. A pretty cool place. So um, we were playing there, and a uh, guy was walking down the street. His name is Kenny Vance. He, he uh, was in a band when he was a a young man called Jay and the Americans. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they started out as street corner doo-wop guys from Brooklyn, um, you know, and, and when they were very young, I mean, they were brought in the studio and produced by Lieber and Stoller, you know? Huge. I mean, you know anything about Lieber and Stoller? I mean, that's pretty close to the... Yes, it is. Know, to the big Royalty. bang of rock it and is. roll. I mean, those guys work with Elvis and, you know, Phil totally. Spector and, you know, I mean, just yeah. everybody, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and you know they were great writers and producers so that that was kenny's background and uh you know kenny had that sort of storybook career that you know i had only dreamed about he opened for the beatles opened for the stones was on ed sullivan was on hullabaloo shindig i mean you know american bandstand i mean you name it you know yeah. and uh you know so he was walking down the street you know and he heard you know, you heard the sound of the sax and the piano and the big beat and the echo on the voice. And, you know, he heard, uh, you know, the sound of the 60s 
you know, coming back only being played, uh, you know, where guys were, you know, swinging hard, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, came in and watched his play and uh, never met him, never knew he was there, you know, but uh, I don't know, it was like a little over a year later, he called up and he had a movie script that uh, he had become a, a movie supervisor, producer, and uh, and he 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 wanted to know if we'd be interested in uh, putting some songs in a movie called. No way! Yeah. No way! So, now, did you already have a lot of those songs done? Um, like, were you you know was on the dark side and tender years and stuff? Were those songs that you had been playing in bars up to that point? Or did yes. you write everything on the album for the soundtrack? Like Season in Hell had to be specific to the movie, right? Yeah, that was specific to the movie. Okay. Yeah. Um, You know, Ten Years and Wild Summer Nights, they, we had an independent single with those songs on it a few years beforehand um, trying, in our attempt to try to get a record deal and uh, got played, you know, everywhere from uh, Boston, New York, Philly, Cleveland, you know, got played a lot and uh, still couldn't get a deal. 
But uh, those songs existed. Uh, songs like uh, Boardwalk Angel. Dark Side. I had bits and pieces of them. They were songs that I was sort of, uh, you know, had ideas for, but, mm. um, you know, hadn't developed them. And uh, when they gave us the movie script, there was a, 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 a reference to a song called On the Dark Side in it. And I said, well, does it have to be called On the Dark Side? And they said, yeah, because we already shot some of the footage with them <laughs> talking about it. <laughs> and it described the song as being, uh, you know, uh, it started out with a classical piano uh, and went into a classic rock guitar riff. And the lyrics were poetic in nature. It was called On the Dark Side. And by the way, it's big hit record, you know, so it's... <laughs> it's well, sound you know, like I get the first part right. I don't know if I get the last part right. <laughs> I don't know if I can guarantee you a big hit record. But, uh, so, you know, I wrote... a. You know, I wrote a sketch with, you know, on the dark side and I had this sort of Mitch Ryder sort of chord changes. And, and uh, you know, we had had a song called um, Donald on the Cove, which had this sort of classical piano piece, which we sort of like Kenny Vance said, you know, something like that. You know, so, you know, I sat at the piano and we came up with something different and, uh, you know, put together a little sketch and I sent it down there and Marty Davidson really liked it, who was the director. And, uh, you know, we were off to the races with that. But yeah. I mean, but I mean, it was very interesting, you know, I mean, we were a bar band, you know, yeah. and yeah. Uh, so to have an opportunity to write songs for a motion picture was was uh, exciting to us. Yeah. It was very interesting, very different than the work we were used to. You know, so okay. we looked at it like it, it was a very fun project. It was sure. a lot of work, but it was very fun. You know, we actually, yeah. you know, got paid to do something other than, you know, make people dance and buy beer, you know. Right. So. <laughs> right. so the second, so then tough all over, I mean, the soundtrack becomes kind of like the greatest hits we just talked about, a springboard to launch you into your own career. And CITY comes out, that's a big hit as well.
there remains my understanding this confusion about who you really are are you john cafferty and the beaver brown band or are you the band that's lip syncing in the movie i think like dan hartman had some issues with this with i can dream about you because in the movie and in the video it's not him singing it's these black guys lip syncing to his song great song you know? oh it's the best of course you know another uh pennsylvania guy so is that what's i mean there's got to be confusion like i we're we're our own band we aren't tied to this movie but you guys won't leave us alone you won't untie us from this movie right it you know that i mean that particular vehicle had two edges to it you know mm -hmm. um and you know one edge of the sword was uh it 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 took our music and put it all over the world yeah. you know and got us exposure that we wouldn't have gotten playing for dance floors yeah. uh every night and uh so that was great but um it sort of it obscured us in that um sometimes you know when people hear on the dark side i might be the third person they think of that could be saying it you know so but it you know at the same time it, it, you know that was the career that, yeah. that we had you know so you can either be glass half full glass half empty i choose the glass half Absolutely. full like okay yeah. so you know here i am and uh here I am halfway across the country. I walk on stage. I count the four. I, I play a song that's a big hit record. Yeah. And people just go nuts, you know? They do. No. They do. No, I don't know what they're thinking about when they hear it, but I know what I'm thinking about. That's right. You know, I'm thinking that all of these songs are are songs of that I wrote, and they're songs that belong to my band. Yeah. I mean, when I'm on stage and I'm singing this stuff, I, I don't think of movies. Yeah. You know, that was just a use yeah. of it, you know? Yeah. It was just a use of the song. Yeah. I remember Stephen King used to come see our band all the time when we go up to Maine, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he sat me down, and he knew I had a little, you know, some... Uh, I wasn't quite sure how to think about what was going on at the time. Yeah. And he said, you know what? He goes... uh you know what you do? You write songs and make records. That's what you do. You don't make movies. Uh -huh. He goes, you know, what they do with it, I mean, that's that's something different than what you do with it. Yeah. You wrote a song, you made a record, both were great. You know, uh -huh. you did your job. That's he right. said, you know, he goes, I, I have a similar situation. I write books. I don't make movies. You know, yeah. I write a book. My book is well-written and it's great and it's well-received. Um, you know, what they do with those books in the movies sometimes, you know, I don't always uh, relate to. Yeah. Uh, in the way that I I relate to the story when I when I read my book. Yeah. So um, same thing with me, you know. So I, I mean, I felt better about that. I just said, you know, good. that's right. You know, I, I wrote a good song. Yeah. And uh, made a good record, and uh, you know, whatever happens after that, that's it. Know, out of my control. A bit. Yeah, out of your hands. At what point did the Tough All Over album get the new cover that has, you know, Michael Paré with his arm up? When did they, is that, I mean, I'm assuming they, it's a marketing ploy. The marketing division of the label is like, we might be able to sell more records if we don't confuse people and make them think that this is still the band from Eddie and the Cruisers, right? Well, um, you know, the company that we were signed with, um, Scotty uh, brothers. 
Yeah, I mean, they yeah. they uh, they felt that uh, the name Eddie and the Cruises, because of the films, was more marketable. Mm. And they were just trying to sell records um, yeah. without having, uh, you know, a, a concern for career development. Um, and, you know, I mean, we were the guys creating the music. Mm. We were the real guys. Yeah. I mean... You know, those guys were, you know, in the real world of music. It's like, give me a guitar and yeah. a microphone. I know what I can do. Yeah. You know, you take an actor and give him a guitar and, and, and a microphone. Uh, not not going to be a lot of noise coming from that direction, you know. So <laughs> that's true. Okay. So, you know, they, they, they felt it was better to promote a fictional band that's promote. Yeah. Oh, real weird. Deal, which led to you know uh that cloudy career that that, yeah. uh, that i you know mentioned yeah. early you know tell me it, about tell me about being on scotty brothers i've had frankie sullivan on here from survivor and robert tepper has been on here a couple of times and everybody has some uh, bittersweet memories or experiences being on the scotty label um just in terms of Mishandling. Uh, Robert specifically was talking. I remember him talking about how uh, when No Way Out came out um, or Easy Way Out. Yeah. Oh, it's one of the best ever. They, yeah, Scotty Brothers. Oh, I know you were. I'm going to ask you about oh, that yeah, in yeah. a second. So, Scotty Brothers put their efforts behind promoting his song on the movie soundtrack, not his complete album. Therefore, not promoting him, as you were saying, as like an independent artist. They were kind of, he was tied to the soundtrack and they wanted to sell soundtracks, not we want to sell a lot of Robert Tepper. And I'm wondering if you had a similar experience where they just they weren't putting as much attention on making sure you guys had a long career that's up on your own versus we just want to sell these soundtracks. Well, first of all, I want to say that I really like those guys. I really oh, like good. Okay, good. I, I, you know, I always enjoyed being around them. I mean, they were fun. They were exciting. They were, you know, they were professional athletes, those guys. Oh, I didn't know um, Oh, yeah. Ben played for the 49ers, you know. Okay. I mean, it, and, uh, I think Tony played in Maryland. He was yeah. a football player. But, you know, those guys, they, you know, they were – a lot of fun to be around. I really liked them and they reminded me a lot of, uh, you know, the guys that I grew up with, you know, and uh, they were guy guys, you know, I don't know if that's politically correct to say that these oh, days, but you know, they were sports guys, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, it, it was fun. I think the music they put out reflects that. The yeah. music they put out is like kind of guy music, you know? I call it Stallone music because it's all yeah. music that feels like it could be in a Sylvester Stallone movie. That's well, what's great a lot about of it, it was, you know. Yeah, it was. Another That's great right. guy, you know, That's that right. I love. Yeah. But, um, you know, but uh, creatively uh, and business-wise, uh, you know, they had a lot of success doing things in the way that they felt they should do them. Mm. Um wasn't necessary and, and you know they were successful it's hard to you know talk somebody out of their formula for success you know right. when when you know they signed me i didn't sign them you know so 
I was part of their thing. And they handled it in the way that they saw best for their record company. Um, and sometimes that wasn't always the best for me and my band. Um, that which led to a parting of the ways. But, you know, like they said, you know, it's, it's just business. You know, I still liked them. You know, sure. I still like the guys and I, I, you know, and I didn't take it personal, but, you know, had uh, we been with another record company with a different sort of uh, long-term view on how to develop an artist, things may or may not have been different. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, I have platinum records hanging on my wall. You can see them sitting behind me. It's That's like, right. you know, they wouldn't be there if not for the Scotty brothers. Totally. So I, I, it's hard to, it's hard to have sour grapes about that, you know, which I do. Do you still keep in touch with them? Are they still around? No. Because I've tried to find them to have them on the show. I'd love to hear their story, but no one knows how to even reach them. Well, I mean, they, they get out of uh, the record business and they were in the television business and okay. they had a little show called Baywatch, which was... Oh, that's right. Special. Oh, goodness. Yeah. You know, <laughs> well, they're so, living um, off on their island somewhere because Baywatch made enough money for everybody, probably. Yeah, it was the biggest <laughs> television show in, in the history of television shows. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so yeah, they're I mean, off they doing their thing. Left the, the music business. Okay, so I want to ask you about Roadhouse because that album is kind of an anomaly for you guys. It's longer. There's more songs. They everything's kind of stretched out. There's not those quick like two and a half minute jams like Dark Side. Everything's four, five, six minutes long. What was the what were you? What was the plan when you went in to make Roadhouse? Or was that the idea? Like, let's stretch out and show what our band can really do. You know, was that the idea all along? Um, the Roadhouse is more of a. Uh, on Tough All Over, we tried to show like the different influences that we had had, like you know, different. Wrote a song called "Voice of America's Sons," which was oh, classic. Uh, it, it was a song that was uh, sort of about, uh, you know, um, getting rock and roll to have a voice, like, you know, on the radio, turn the radio on, but like play songs that have some meaning to them, you know. Not every song has to have meaning, but 
it'd be nice to have some songs and 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 rock and roll uh was basically a form of music that was uh you know a conglomeration of like all the stuff coming out of like you know the south and beale street and you know it was rock and roll rockabilly country R&B, blues, I mean, you can see all of that right down on Beale Street, Memphis, you know, and uh, a lot of that came up to New York, and there was a great scene, you know, in New York City as well with the Brill Building and all of that, Um, but uh, so we were trying to show those influences. When we got to Roadhouse, I was trying to tie together uh, a loose sort of storyline, sort of a song cycle. Oh. Uh, whereas uh you know the guy in bomb for glory is a young enthusiastic you know never say die sort of uh you know you can't stop me now sort of wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, you know, person who's sure. just born for it. And yeah. as the album progresses, uh, you know, there, there are, you know, life happens. And, yeah. uh, you know, just loosely, I mean, it's not always the same character, but it's characters like that. And then the song, the, the album ends up with a song called The, the Road I'm Running. is uh, sort of a, it, maybe like a more experienced version of that guy that was in Bomb for War. I've never and, known this. Had, 
have been through, you know, a lot of different things. And, and yeah. uh, but I mean, all of that is happening in my mind. So, sure. you know, when you drop a needle on, on, you know, on a, on victory dance or, or right. whatever, it's like, you don't have to know all that stuff. You, you, you know, you just hear the song and you either dance to it or you don't, you know. It's, well, uh, now I know. I mean, I've listened to that album dozens of times in my life. Now I got to do it again and be thinking about what you just said because I didn't, I hadn't caught on to there being a not a story, but just a an arc or sort of you know some progress in it. When it wasn't as received as lovingly as the others, how did you take that? Um. Well, uh, you know, had I been a better writer. <laughs> You know, maybe people would have saw, like you said, you listened to it a lot of times and, and never really made the connection. Had I been a better writer, maybe you would have. So um, I thought there were really good songs on it. I don't think that the the overall picture of what I was trying to accomplish really came across as clearly mm -hmm. um, uh, as maybe it could have. And it probably could have used the three and a half minute uh, commercial, which is, uh, yeah. you know, like a single to put on sure. the radio. Um, there were songs on it that I thought could have been singles. Um, the record company thought could have been singles. But when we when we had the meeting in New York, it's like everybody picked like uh, one of six different songs. And they yeah. came to the conclusion that not that there were six great songs on it, but there was no clear <laughs> single. Because no one could agree on it, so I could see that. Uh, I could see all that. in the beauty is in the eye of the yeah. beholder, I guess, yeah. you know. No kidding. But I'm very, very proud of it. I look back at it, and I'm still very proud of it. A lot of those songs really hold up on stage, um, and you know, people who I really admire and look up to as musicians and writers you know, always comment to me, you know, how much they love certain songs on that Good. record. So Good. I'm glad. So Eddie Lives comes around and unfortunately for you guys, and this is not a knock on you, as you said, it's it's a it's a sequel that no one was really asking for, you know, and it's a few <laughs> years it's a few years late. So it's not capitalizing necessarily on anything. You know, yeah. I actually like that movie better than the other movie. Um I know I'm I'm no one agrees with me on that, but I like Eddie 2 more than Eddie 1. But um, were those songs all songs created for the second movie? And that movie is almost like a music video. And uh, 
did, were they, did you have a hand or know how the making of the movie was going down? Um, I only saw the movie once. I oh. I knew how the movie, how it was going down because I wrote like God I probably wrote like like fourteen songs for it, you know, including oh. like little bits and pieces that got used as outtakes for different things or or just behind the scenes. Um, it, it, a sequel that nobody was asking for. You, you could probably put my name at the top of that list. I mean, I. <laughs> I did not want to do that, you know, truth be told. And, and you know, I, I never really like to put a negative spin on things because I just don't really see the point in it. But um, at that moment in time, we had just, you know, we made the movie, the first movie. We got out of it exactly what we wanted to. You know, we got our own record deal. You know, I made another, I made a record under our own name. John Caffey and the Beaver Brown Band, Tough All Over. We had two top 40 hits, you know, uh, and I was thrilled, you know, and we went out on tour and people were starting to know us as us. We put out the Roadhouse record um, and it didn't have a hit, but I was very proud of what we had done. I was really proud of, like, you know, the band that we had become and uh, we were very seasoned. We had good songs. We were a great live band. Um, and I got approached with this sequel. And um, it was not something that I wanted to do. Um, it was, you know, either do the sequel or you're off the label sort of deal, um, which eventually happened anyways. Um, so... Talked to the band. The band wanted to do it. Um, so we did it. So once we committed to it, um, I wrote the best songs that I could because I knew that if it got any exposure, um, that the songs would, the songs are going to be with me for the rest of my life. Forget about the movie. Those are my songs, right? So when I'm writing, when I'm writing songs like Open Road and, you know, running through the fire. I mean, matter of time. I mean, these are really good songs. They yeah. are. Those are my songs. I never watched that movie. You know, I, I saw enough of it so that I could, you know, make sure everything was was in place. But um, I mean, those are my songs. I yeah. so to me, 
I was very proud of that music. Uh, the association with the films, again, you know, you go back to the Stephen King thing, you know, it's <laughs> like, you know, I write songs, I make records, I, yeah. I don't make movies. You know, yeah. what, what they did with it is really, you know, I didn't really have much to do with what they did with it. Sure. Okay. Um, but I just had to make it exist. And, and well, you did. I was very, very proud of those those songs that were in that, that film. I love the album. So when people say to me, you know, I like the second one better than the first one, or, I, or you know, I didn't like the uh -huh. second, you know, it's like it, it, it goes in one ear and out the other to me. Because sure. I don't relate to any of it as, as, as film. I relate yeah. to those both of those projects as, as uh, songs that I wrote uh, yep. for myself and for my band that, that got sense. used in movies. Totally makes sense. I've always wondered, is there a real Mariah? There's that song, real Mariah. Well, there's a song on the album, Mariah, Mary yeah. I A. Is that a real person? Uh, there used to be a song called "They Call the Wind Mariah." Oh, okay. So it was a play on that. Okay. And uh, yeah, it, it's it actually Mariah is a very old song. It was written like before any of that stuff, you know. Really. And, and uh, we ended up using it in the movies like many years later. But that was one of the songs that. Uh, had we had the opportunity to make our own record before, you know, the movie soundtracks, I mean, that's one of the songs that would have been on, okay. you know, our own first record. But um, Is Mariah even a name? Is that a person? I've never seen it spelled that way, and I've always assumed you were talking about a girl named Mariah, but I don't know. Uh, not, not, not anyone specifically, okay. just, okay. Uh, you know. Okay. Uh, you know, there's all these references to the to the wind, and you know, Got all it. of that. So okay. my tales, and then you, you know, but okay. uh, just curious. Yeah. Okay. But oh. it's it, it, we get a lot of requests for that one. It's, it's a fun. I, I love so, it. I love the whole album. Um, okay. Lastly, I want to ask about Arts on Fire.
I had Joe Esposito on here, and I didn't realize until he Joe came Bean. on. This, Joe Bean. He's the best. And uh, this was very early on. So this was over seven years ago that I talked to him. And he wrote that song, but you were brought in to sing it, but not the whole band. It's just credited to you. Why was that? <laughs> uh, well, um, first of all, Joe Esposito, I mean, you know, he, that guy he can sing. We, he did a phenomenal version of it, you know, yes. and when I heard the demo, it was him singing it. It was like, it's like, you know, I can't, I couldn't touch what he did with him. He's just such a great singer. He and sent it to me. And there is a connection so there because he's really good friends with Kenny Vance. I mean, but the oh, projects sure. were still totally unrelated, but he sings with Kenny Vance in a movie called uh, American Hot Wax. Yep. He was in the Planetones. American Outwalks is a film about uh, Alan Freed. I saw that once years ago. I vaguely remember it. Yes. Oh, you got to watch that movie. It's the greatest. And Kenny sort of, uh, you know, he he sort of uh, recreated those those Alan Freed rock and roll shows in Brooklyn at the Paramount Theater. And it's uh, it's such a great movie. Okay. uh, Yeah. I love, it. but he was in that. He was in that with Kenny, and wow. he's an old friend of Kenny's. Wow. Uh, but totally unrelated to how I did Hearts on Fire, and, you know, I was uh, my wife and I were living in Los Angeles at the time, and uh, I got a call from a record company saying that uh, Sly wanted me to come down and sing this song called Hearts on Fire. I had never heard it. Um, you know, I uh, you know I went down. I, I he was there. I, you know, I listened to, uh, you know, I listened to the track and I knew what he wanted. You know, he just wanted me to, you know, scream at the top of my lungs, you know, and uh, it's got a great chorus and uh, sure you know, he, he really liked it. So, yeah. um, so that's how it got in there. And he, that's he great. loved, it. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't a hit, but it was used yeah. in the film quite a bit. Yeah. And uh, it, it, uh, it was a little different than, than what my band would do. Okay. Uh, in fact, it was a little different when I heard the final mix of it mm-hmm. because I I'm, I was just a singer on it. They mm-hmm. they just hired me to sing, so um, I didn't produce it, I didn't write it, I didn't play on it. And uh, when I heard it, when I recorded it, it had like a five piece band on it. When I heard it, it had an orchestra on it. And I was oh, like, what? wow! Yeah, <laughs> I was like, wow. But yeah. uh, you know that you know, like I said, I mean that's what they they wanted for the film, and you know, Sly yeah. loved it. You know, yeah. we just yeah. did a gig with Sly and Frankie down in Atlantic City. Really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, me and Gary, we were, we were driving up to Boston uh, to go to a gig. We were doing a, a, a gig for the a veterans benefit up in Boston, and my phone rings. I look at the phone and it says uh, Sylvester Stallone, and I said, "You got to be kidding." <laughs> Right, I said this can't be real. <laughs> so I, I picked it up and was like, "Yeah, Johnny, how you doing?" Right, and it's him. So I'm like, so I answered the phone. I went, "Hearts on fire." And he goes, "Man, that was so great." He goes, "That you know, that's one of the greatest workout scenes in the history of film." You know, he goes, "And your voice was right on top of it." Yep. I said, yeah, I said, I had the easy part. I just had to sing the song. By the time the song was over, you had to climb a mon- mountain and fight a Russian. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, I did, I did. So he called me up and he said, uh, I see that you're playing down in uh, Atlantic City, you know, this summer. He goes, my brother Frankie's playing at the Hard Rock. 
you know, I want, I want you to do me a favor and come over and open the show. We're filming everything. Oh. And I said, absolutely. That would be great. Wow. So, you know, we, uh, we, uh, we played on a boardwalk on a Wednesday. We went down to Summers Point and played on the beach where they shot Eddie and the cruises. Oh, um, at, you know, the, for, uh, um, for my friend Common, whose whose dad owned uh, Tony Marts, where they wow. shot at in the cruises, and uh, then we went right from the stage up to Atlantic City and jumped on stage at, at the Hard Rock oh. and opened up for Frankie. Oh so, man, yeah, Frank Stallone, he's he's very talented singer yes. songwriter as well, yes. you know. And uh, you know, we went out to dinner with those guys on on Thursday. It was great. I we, bet. Uh, yeah, well, it was just like it was just uh, Sly and Frank and and my guys, you know. No way! Yeah, oh, I you love know, that. Talking sports and boxing and rock and roll, and you know, it was great. It's oh, just what you want to imagine is going on. That is so great. Yeah, wow. it, it so, was great. Let me ask you this: We try to sensitively touch on the the business side of things here. I am guessing that because Rocky Four is on somewhere virtually twenty four hours a day. That and on the dark side, maybe provides you with a pretty good mailbox money that you can live off of, right? Uh, somewhat, but uh, you know, our biggest successes came from from films. Yeah. So, uh, the the when when you get involved with a film, like uh, a lot of times, the the money goes a lot of different directions before it gets to the guys with the instruments, you know. So. Right. Um, had it been our own record, um, you know, yeah. I, I wouldn't be uh, putting air on my back tire, you know, <laughs> <laughs> on my old car. But, yeah. uh, you know, but, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, some money comes in, but it, it's, uh, you know, it's not retirement money, but okay. it, it's, it, it, you know, it helps. And, yeah. um, but it's been, it's been many, many years, you know, yeah. I mean. In the 80s, it was a little more substantial than it is, you know, now. I mean, yeah. it's a long time ago. That's true. But uh, you know, we go out and play. You know, we're yeah. we're a, a working class band. We're, you know, we're That's a working it. man's band. We, we, you know, we put put our guitars over our shoulders and uh, we go out and we, we, we plug in and count to four, you know. Yeah, that's it. Um, I don't want to dwell on this too much because you've been compared to Springsteen so much and it, a lot of it doesn't quite seem fair to me i do think though that first of all i feel like your songs your voice and your songs mixed with the whole band but specifically michael antoon's saxophone is he, he's kind of a he's still in the band right because he's kind of like the secret yeah, yeah, to me you know yeah he's, he's uh he's 82 this year is he really oh my gosh wow yeah Wow, yeah, and you, you just wouldn't even believe what he can do no. on that instrument. Just no, that's where magic, I feel like I feel like that's wand. yes, I feel like that's almost where most of the comparison comes from because he's so passionate and big on that instrument that it reminds you somewhat of Clarence, and so um, that a little bit different more, sound, yeah. a little bit different sound. Uh, it, you know, Clarence played like those big, long, growly notes, and True. tunes is more like staccato. And and uh, you know, uh, I, I remember one night we were playing at Toad's place in New Haven. You know, I was knocking on the on the door. 
open up the door and there's Clarence, right? He's got his horn with him. I said, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> and he, he said, yeah, I'm, I'm just in town. You know, I saw you boys were playing, you know. He said, I, I brought my horn. I said, oh, man. So we went up on stage. And when Toons first joined the band, um, we had learned probably like 20 classic old, you know, sax instrumentals from like the 50s and 60s. So wow. we had them at our fingertips. So I said to Toons, I said, well, you know, why don't you guys just play? You know, we'll, we'll do like hockey talk and, you know, Cleo's mood and, you know, yeah. we, you know we'll play a bunch of Junior Walker stuff. And, and those two guys get up and they just, they tore the roof off the, the place, you know, just nice. great. Oh man, I would love to see the two of them. We used to play at Clarence's place. He had a bar called Big Man's West down in Red Bank. We used to play there all the time. No way. Yeah. That's great. That's great. But, uh, you know, getting back to your question, I mean, you know, we, uh, um, first of all, Bruce was always very, very supportive of us, you know, very, very kind and generous to me as a songwriter. You know, when I was a younger man, um, he's a, phenomenal songwriter one of the most prolific people on the planet um you know we would go down to the stone pony at night and uh you know on the way home he'd be writing a song on it you know, uh-huh. you know on his leg you know? yeah just we yeah. uh, just non-stop but um you know we have a tendency like those guys down in new jersey um, the Jukes and, and, and the E Street guys um, to, you know, color our songs with our influences yeah. um, from the 50s and 60s. So a lot of our songs are like that. Um, Bruce is all, you know, so we have a lot of the same influences. Plus, I have him as an influence. You know, he, he's been an influence. So, True. you know, and, and we were playing very... You know, we were playing a lot of uh, old R&B, early rock and roll with our band back in the days in the early 70s when I met Bruce. And he was doing uh, a lot of the same, only he was taking those old rock and roll songs and turning them into original songs. Mm. You know, he was just coloring his songs. And, and uh, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, how to do that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I mean a, a lot of similarities. I mean, you know, I mean I, I you know, people hear me sing, you know, I mean I've sang on the same microphone as Bruce many, many times. Um, you know, you know, when he's right next to me, we don't really sound that much alike, but um mm-hmm. I certainly sound more like him than I sound like Robert Plant, you know. True. So true. It's yeah. uh, you know, so th- there is an influence and I, I always felt it was a good one. Me too. I mean, if I'm glad you mentioned the Jukes. I was going to mention them too. It's more, I think of, even though you're in Providence, not Jersey, but it's more of just a Jersey rock sound. Southside Johnny sounds similar to Bruce too. And you mentioned earlier, you've been going at it since the early 70s. It's not like you heard Bruce and thought, I want to do what Bruce is doing. You just all happen to be sort of, like you said, following the similar influences around the sim- same part of the country at around the same time. And this is what happened. And then in the 80s, when those kinds of heartland rock bands, John Cougar Mellencamp or Survivor or whatever, started to become more fashionable, then you were right there capitalizing on a sound. It's not like copycatting or anything. Well, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, we were all very young men when, when we 
met, you know, including all the jukes and stuff. The guitar player in our band, Gary Grammolini, his younger brother was the guitar player in the jukes for, you know, when Stevie Van Zandt went up to the E Street Band, um, you know, John called up and he was looking for a guitar player and, uh, you know, we we sent Jody down there, Jody Grammolini, and, and uh, you know, he, he took Steve's place, you know, as the second voice and the second guitar in the band. Um, so, I mean, we've, we've all known one another quite a bit. I used to open for the Jukes all the time and, and, you know, we used to play on the Jersey shore. All those guys would come and, you know, sit in with us. And so we sort of had a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, ties to a certain school of music. And, uh, in fact, I'm going down in the uh, second week of December and singing with the Bombas band. He's got like a 16 piece nice. horn band. Yeah. Going on there, but we, you know, we still stay in touch with all those guys, and, and it's uh, but uh, you know, I'm, when yeah. I first started writing songs, I mean, I, I was just uh, trying to, I was trying to make them exist. I was just yeah. trying to get chords that made sense together and, and right. words that rhymed, you know, and uh, <laughs> you know what, whether they sounded like this one or that one, it was like, I, I mean, I was just happy to, you know, that yeah. they all made sense, you know, yeah, and uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, John, I, uh, I love you so much and I'm so grateful for the music you've put in the world. It just makes me happy. And I've, I've wanted since day one to hear your story and talk with you about it. And this is a huge dream come true for me. Thank you for giving me an hour of your time. I am so grateful. Well, thank you so much for saying, and thanks for in inviting me. And, you know, I, uh, Really appreciate the opportunity to like get the word out there that we're still going. We got the greatest Absolutely. hits record, you know. If, uh, if you need to get one in Santa's sleigh, you know, uh, <laughs> we we got that. And uh, and uh, I, you know, I'm determined to get it, get another record out. I got been writing, and I got some good ones, and I good. you know feel like it's uh, it's time to get them out. You know, I, I the agree. Hard thing is like. Trying to do it, trying to whittle it down from like, you know, it's, it's well, a big, big chunk of wood to whittle down. I believe well, it. It's been 33 yeah. years. Something needs to be out there, <laughs> you know, from John Cafferty. Hard to so, believe. It is. Anyway, thank you, sir. All right, there you have it, John Cafferty. Now, as I mentioned, that new Greatest Hits album, it's on this label called Icona Classic. And what's really cool is that they also recently put out. Uh, the Rocky Burnett album, Son of Rock and Roll. So if any of you remember, almost exactly a year ago, we had Rocky Burnett on here, Tired of Toe in the Line. And at the time, like none of his original albums ever made it to CD. But Icono Classic Records has finally released Rocky's album, Son of Rock and Roll, the one with Tired of Toe in the Line on it, on CD. And they have the John Cafferty Greatest Hits. So it's worth looking into because... Both of those are fantastic, and they're finally here. They've never been here before. I wanted to close it out with Tough All Over. I don't, I don't know how, but we didn't really get into this song as much, and it deserves to be heard because it's awesome. So here's Tough All Over from that second album. Now, I love John, and I'm so grateful he talked to me, like I mentioned before. Next week should be a twofer. As I said, the rest of this year is a little fuzzy because I've got some that will probably be paired, and I'm not exactly which ones go with which other ones, and... Uh, Anyway, it's going to be tricky, but I'm pretty sure next week is a twofer. The less I say about it, the better. We'll just see what happens, okay? 
Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man, for everything. Thank you, buddy. You guys, you can like our Facebook page. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. Um, there might be a bonus episode this weekend. There should be another book club. Uh, that's entirely up to Yan and his schedule. All right? Thanks, everybody. We love you.